for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again. Uh, I'm going to get right into this thing today. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the preamble, if you will, rhetoric. Uh, and so I'm going to teach out of Matthew. If you want to turn to Matthew, I'm going to talk out of Matthew chapter 5. We are starting a new series today called Commission, and that is Community on Mission, because God has given us a mission, and as a community of believers, we should take that mission to the community outside the walls of our church. Amen? Yes? All right. This is our obligation. It's our responsibility. It's what we've been called to do. This is the only responsibility that we have, our mission. The mission that God gave us is what we do. What is the mission that God gave us? The mission that God gave us is determined by Matthew chapter 28. And when I say us, I don't just mean us. I mean literally everyone who calls themselves a Christian. This is what you do. True. And it is. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I did a sermon series some months ago called 4M Discipleship that spent four weeks breaking these verses down. We are called to make disciples, to mark them by water baptism, to mature them by teaching them, and to multiply them until he finally comes back for us. Amen? That is our one thing. But it's the one thing of every church. It's not just Launch Point Church or the Baptist Church down the street. It's every church has been given a one thing. Where churches get messed up is they think their one thing is something else. But this is our one thing, to make, mark, mature, and multiply disciples specifically for Christ Jesus. Everybody all right with that? It doesn't really matter if you're all right with it. It's our mission. It's what we do. And so we get it convoluted, and it causes us a great deal of problems. The, the purpose, the intent of a mission is to know what you're willing to spend your time, energy, and resources on. So our mission dictates what we had put our hand to. Uh, essentially, what I'm telling you is it's, it determines our yes or no. If the church is asked to be involved in something and it doesn't do one of these four things, make, mark, mature, or multiply disciples, our responsibility is to say no. Let me explain what I mean. It's because it's going to hurt some people's feelings. Or it has hurt some people's feelings. If you say, if you come up to me and say, hey, there's a local homeless ministry in town and we'd like to get involved in that. 
and I go talk to that homeless ministry. And that homeless ministry exists for the sole purpose of getting people off the street, but never intends to make disciples, then someone else beside the church ought to be responsible for that. I'm tired of being called by people who call themselves ministry organizations that don't allow you to talk about Jesus. If they say, you can come solve our homeless problem, you can come solve our hunger problem, you can come solve our insert problem here, but just don't tell them about Jesus. Just don't pray in the name of Jesus. You could pray, just don't say the name Jesus. That's somebody else's problem. That's not the church's problem. You don't give to, or I don't think you do, you shouldn't give to us for any other reason than to what? Make, mark, mature, and multiply disciples. Now, we do that through the good works according to the word of God, but those good works are only determined to be good as they declare the gospel. Everybody okay? I'm coming I'm coming both barrels like this the whole time, so y'all just buckle on in. All right? I just, I want to ensure that we are good stewards of what God has called us to take care of. And we can't be good stewards if we have something else beside this in mind. We've been called to live on mission. With Jesus Christ, it is as our example of what it means to live on mission. But Jesus Christ should be our example for everything. And this is who Jesus was, according to Jesus' own words in regard to his ministry and living on mission. Luke 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery to the, of sight to the blind, and set free those who were oppressed. Did y'all catch that? What does God do? God, by the Spirit of the Lord, anoints to release captives, opens the eyes of the blind, and frees those who were oppressed. You know what else does that? The gospel message of Jesus Christ. And that's it. Isaiah 52 says this, The Lord has, has bared his arm in the sight of all the nations that, it, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of God. Guys, this is our responsibility. We reflect Christ and should walk as Christ walked. That's what the Bible says. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, maybe you should act like a Christian. Maybe you should walk as Christ walked. And if Christ lived for the purpose of releasing captives, recovery of the sight to the blind, and free the oppressed, then he should have free reign over us to give us the empowerment by his Holy Spirit to do the same. Isaiah 42, 6 and 7 says, I am the Lord. I have called you to righteousness. We should call people to righteousness. Amen? I will hold you by the hand. We should come alongside of people and hold them by the hand, and I will watch over you. And we should do the same. We should minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to people so that we can, and I know I sound like a broken record, but it's on purpose, make Mark, mature, and multiply disciples. This is what we do as a church on mission, as a community on mission. But can I tell you, 
If all we are is this community on mission that never determines to go into that community on mission, then we might as well shut this community down. Because this is the equipping place. If you'll read Ephesians chapter 4, we exist to equip the saints and bring them to unity in the faith so that they won't be tossed to and fro. That is my job. That is your job. I equip you. I bring you to unity of the faith through proper sound teaching of the doctrine and theology. And then you go out into the world, myself included when I say that, because I have a personal responsibility to make disciples too. Then I go out into the world. People say, hey, come to my church, man. I want my pastor to preach to you so you can get saved. You, should, you can do that. You should do that. We have to do that because we live in what I'm going to call not a post-Christian world. We live in a pre-Christian world. What does that mean? What's the difference between the two? Post-Christian is a, is a society that used to know Christ, which in the older generations is true. There was a time in America where we knew Christ Jesus. Everything was centered around the church or church community. Bars and stores and everything were closed on Sunday. People respected that time. They didn't have softball games or baseball games during church services, insert whatever. They held those things necessary. That is post-Christianity. But did you know there's a whole generation of people that don't even know Jesus, have never heard Jesus? Those people are pre-Christian. They haven't had something and forgot it. They've never heard of it to have it in the first place. And we can do better. We should do better. Three out of ten people inside of our community are churched. Which means that even though that, does, that doesn't exclude that other 7 out of 10 from being saved. But I'll tell you, they're not living the life God intends for them to live. Because unity within the community of faith is necessary. It's the reason why the Bible says all the time, um, the one another statements, love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. All of those things happen within the context of community. You can't do those things as an island unto yourself. I will go as far as to say you can't be the Christian you're supposed to be if you're not attached to a community of believers. Because the enemy will always take the one that's separated from the herd and attack and kill them first. You're all, not me. You don't know me. No, but I know a lot of people like you, and that's exactly where they ended up. All right, I'm, I've kind of got sideways. But let me tell you, that is our responsibility, to be a community on mission, living on missions, vessels of the good news of the gospel, because it is only through the gospel that we can affect any change. You know why? Because it's the power of salvation. Romans 1.16, what does Paul say? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power, listen to this, this is so good. And yet we just think of it like words we read out of a novel or something. It is the power of salvation to those who believe. 
the difference between the people that are going to hell and the people that are going to spend an eternity with God is the power of the gospel, which is the power of God for their salvation. That Jesus Christ came because we needed a Savior because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Made himself available as the atoning sacrifice so that we could declare him as Lord, believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And when we do that, we commit ourselves, not just to God, but to this community. And to ensure that we do the one thing he called us to do which is to ensure that other people become part of this community too. Man, I'm done preaching. That's just the intro. Do do y'all hear me? And so today I'm going to talk to you about not necessarily the the mission. You know what the mission is. I feel like I've talked that death already. But who you have to be to be part of the mission what God expects of you to be part of that mission. And God expects you to be salt and light. Now, let me take a step and say, don't let the familiarity of the text beat you out of a blessing. Some of us here, oh yeah, no, I've heard the salt and light sermon before. Let me step out of this one. I know what he's going to say. A couple of things. One, You may not know what I'm going to say. And two, if you're not living according to being salt in the light, the last time you heard it, it didn't take. Probably ain't going to hurt you to say it, hear it again. Amen. People, somebody asked me one time, why do you always preach about such and such? I said, I don't know. You tell me. Why do you think I always have to preach about such and such? Anyway, they indignantly walked away. Let Let me read... Matthew five thirteen through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen. So, first thing, if we're going to be a community on mission, we have to be the salt of the earth. I'm going to break this down for you. In as common language as I know how, why Jesus would have said we need to be salt. Jesus, this is going to shock some of you young folks. In Jesus' day, there weren't any refrigerators, no electricity. And so meat was susceptible to rot and decay. And so he's saying, listen, you have to be the preservative in the world that you live in. Do we know that the world is in decay and that it's decaying more and more rapidly? I think probably the majority of the reason the world is decaying as rapidly as it is, and we want to blame it on the enemy, and so be it. Probably he has a hand in it, but he has convinced us, the enemy I mean, to be silent where we should be loud and strong. We've refused to stop the rot of the world. 
if we tell the truth, if we're willing to tell the truth in a loving way, but still a firm and convictional way, half of what happens in the world today wouldn't happen in the world today. You guys have heard me say it before. Most of the ills of the world happen by permission of the local church. We stepped out of the public eye and said, just do what you want to. Just leave us alone. I want to be insulated from the troubles of the world. And so I'm just going to, you just do run, run roughshod over whatever it is you want to run roughshod of. Me and my family, we're just going to do this. Those days are over if you want your family to survive your generation. Amen? In order to be the, to stop the decay that we're called to stop, we have to be willing to be rubbed into the meat. We must not, as Christians, disassociate ourselves from the world. Like I just said, we spend a lot of time, especially the longer and longer we're in Christendom, isolating ourselves and becoming insulated from the world. We, we tell ourselves, I got to avoid the world to stay holy. Right? That's not true. Book of James says you have to avoid being defiled by the world to be holy. There's a difference between not being near them and allowing them to defile you. Otherwise, Jesus would have never been able to tell sinners about who he was. You have to be close enough. See, he wasn't calling people on the phone or on Zoom. He was right there in them and said, this is a problem. You aren't living right. You are in sin. The idea, though, is to not get that evil on you so that you can be holy and not defiled. The best example I can think of this is Matthew chapter 9, 9 through 13. Let me, let me read this to you. It's so good. And Jesus went from out on from there. He saw a man named Matthew called Matthew. Y'all know who Matthew was? Matthew. He was a tax collector. Also one of Jesus' disciples when he gave his life to the Lord. Means he was the worst of the worst. Imagine in your head what you think the worst sinner looks like according to our society. A tax collector to the Jewish society would have been that person. Not only did they steal from the Jews, his own people, but he was a representative of a government that was oppressing them. And so if there was anyone hated in all of Jewish life more than the Roman, it was the Jew who had contracted himself to oppress other Jews. And so he says this. His name was Matthew, sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners. How many? Many. Man, he must have been covered up. And were, di and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And the Pharisees saw this. They said to his disciples, why is your teaching eating why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. 
for I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. He said, I didn't call you to give up a bunch of stuff. What I called you to more than to give up all this stuff, this, this submission to legalism that you live in, is to have compassion so that you'd understand the heart of the law in the first place. There are people out here dying, literally, for the message of the gospel, and we are holding tightly to it because we don't want to get their mess on us. I praise God every day for the people who are willing to get their mess, my mess on them. For I praise God for Philip Michael, who was the first person to genuinely have a conversation with me about Jesus at 33, 32 years old, pulled me into his office. Most of you have heard this story and said, sit down, I want to talk to you. And then he told me straight out of his mouth, in a way that most people would think offensive, and I honestly thought was offensive too, but he loved me enough to say it, you're going to stop living the way that you're living or you're going to end up dead and in hell. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't say nothing except for, but there is a God who loves you enough to send Jesus. And can I tell you, I didn't accept that right off. I was like, whatever, bro. Don't ever talk to me like that again. Started to walk out of his office. He said, sit down, boy, I ain't done talking to you. And then he prayed over me. And then I left. And then a year later, I went to church. Three months after that, I got saved because that man was willing to tell me the truth. Amen? He was willing to get my filth on him. And we should be willing to get our filth on, the, on us too. We are ambassadors for Christ. You know how hard it is to be a mouthpiece to the other country if you're not willing to open your mouth for the king of the one you belong to? We're called to be ambassadors for Christ. Mm. I praise God that he never entertained sin, but he did allow himself in the company of it. Not only are we to be rubbed into the meat, we must be willing to dissolve as salt to affect the meat. What does this mean? It means we have to dissolve ourselves of our own preferences or offenses. I'm going to say that again. We need to be willing to dissolve ourselves of our own preferences and our own offenses. You know the great thing about the humble? I hear because I'm not quite there yet, but what I, from what I read is that it's impossible to offend them. You know why? Because they're humble and they're more concerned with the mission than they are what other people think of them. People come in here, they don't look like us, love them, serve them, speak kindly to them. They don't act like us, love them, serve them, speak kindly to them. They don't smell like us, love them, serve them, speak kindly to them. That's our philosophy of ministry. That's all we can do. We can't save them. Only God can save them. We love them, serve them, speak kindly to them. I don't care how much money they have, what they look like, what they smell like, what color they are, how old they are, how young they are. I don't care about any of those things because Jesus didn't care about any of those things. He came so that whosoever will would be saved.
Man, wouldn't it be awesome if the church took the same approach? And I mean the whole church. 90% of us probably getting it pretty good, but the rest of us, man, we need, we need to think, is what I'm doing glorifying to God? I would love to see every person in this church come here, get here early enough to have a conversation with someone you don't know. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I have a priority. I live my life on Sundays and Wednesdays in a very sequential priority slash process. If you're new to the church, if you're visiting, I come talk to you first if I can get to you. If you've been here a couple times, then I go talk to you. If you've been here a while, then I'll go talk to you. And if you've been here forever, you're the last person I talk to. I may not get to you. You know why? Because you're not the priority, and you should be okay in being not the priority. We're here to receive those who don't know and to love them. If you want to have a conversation with me, call me, email me, ask me to get a cup of coffee. But you're not the priority here. The people that don't know Jesus are the priority here no matter what they look like. And somebody in here, all, I ain't a priority. You're missing the whole point. <laughs> our salt. We should be rubbed into the meat, dissolved into the meat, and our salt should cause other people to be thirsty. Y'all ever eat popcorn or something super salty with nothing to drink? And you're all, man, what do I got to do to get a glass of water around this joint? Right? There's nothing better at a movie theater than a big bag of popcorn and a Coke. Right? Why? Because popcorn's good, but you can only eat about four pieces up before your eyeballs start sucking back in your head. <laughs> we should cause people to desire Christ like that. They should see in us the fruits of the Spirit. They should go, man, why are you so full of joy? Why are you so full of loving kindness? Why are you so full of long-suffering? Why, why do you have peace when the rest of the world doesn't seem to have any of those things? When I can't find any of those things, can you show me how to have those things? And we should say, yeah. I sure can. And then we start dissolving ourselves of our personal interests and offenses so that we could be rubbed into the meat so that they may know the power of the gospel. Amen? But that's hard. Pastor Jim, you asked me to do something hard. Yeah, I am. I'm asking you to be a place of hope whether here as a community or wherever you are, people come to church for one of two reasons. One, because traditionally they've always come to church, and if they don't go to church, their mama's going to be mad at them when she finds them. that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And then the people whose life has gone completely to hell, excuse the expression, but that's what's happened. And they think, they, they're telling somebody about it, and someone says, you should go see, you should go visit Launch Point Church. You'll find the love you're looking for. You'll find the peace you're looking for. 
you'll find the joy you're looking for. You'll find whatever it is you're looking for. They heard a rumor of hope, and it's our responsibility as the salt to make them thirsty enough to come chase after that hope. Amen? Again, regardless of what they look like, regardless of what they act like, Jesus is waist deep in sinners, or he never gets to talk to one. Stop insulating ourselves and realize that if we're going to create real eternal change in people, as the Scripture commands us to, we have to be willing to engage them, to be the salt to them. Amen? Amen. Secondly, we have to be the light. Being a community of mission means being the light. How many of y'all know we live in a darkened world? Like it is. It's horrible. It is evil, corrupt, vile in every conceivable way. And we stand idly by and watch it fall apart and then complain about it. Can you believe what they're doing? Can you believe them Democrats? Somebody in this room voted Democrat. Can you believe them Republicans? Somebody in this room voted Republican. Can you believe whatever? Somebody was silent in the face of evil, and evil existed. All that, I think it's Edmund Burke said, all that's necessary for evil to exist is for good men to say nothing. And we've done a great job at that. Instead of being the light, the reflection of Christ Jesus, we've decided to be nothing. Because Jesus is that light. Let me read this to you. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him, that's Jesus, was life. And the life was the light, capital L-I-G-H-T of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. So Christ is the light. He is the source of light. But at the same time, he says here in Matthew chapter 5 that we are the light. How can he be the light and we be the light? Because if you look at the verse, we're the light, capital, not capital L, but lowercase l, light. You know what that means? We're a reflection of the source of light. He is the source. Everybody say source. We are the reflection. And any place that we allow to get between us and the source of light casts a shadow. So where the shadow exists, it's because we're standing in the way and not continuing to reflect as we should. That's good right there. We could do better about telling people about Jesus about reflecting his love, his mercy, his kindness, all of his attributes to a lost and dying world, to a hopeless world, to a world that is struggling. There are people in this room that have cried their self to sleep sometime within the last month, I guarantee it. But let me tell you, the source of light offers you hope. Some of you are hurting. 
physically. The source of light offers you hope. You know what my job is to do? Is to reflect that hope to you. But take no arrogant posture about it. Y'all ever been shopping? Anybody ever been to a store? You buy stuff, right? What do they do with that stuff before you leave a store? They put it in a bag, right? You take that bag home, you take the groceries out of it, put them in the trash, and keep the bag, right? No, that's stupid. But that's how many of us want to live out our Christian life. We think we're the thing. When we're not the thing, we're the thing that's supposed to carry the thing. Ultimately, we are going in the trash. We're celebrating pizza boxes. People don't deliver pizza to your, their house so they can enjoy the pizza box. Your purpose in life isn't to be enjoyed, but spent so that the product, Jesus Christ, and the gospel message might be delivered. But you can't do that if you're not willing to be the light. We can do better. I'm convinced of it. When I was a child, many of you know this story, some portion of it. I was a runaway. I ran away from home at 14 years old. And I can remember walking the streets of downtown Dallas in the middle of the night, sometimes 2 o'clock in the morning because you couldn't sleep. And if you were going to sleep, it was almost always better to sleep in the daytime because it was safer. And so I would find myself just walking almost to the point of exhaustion through neighborhoods, apartment complexes, and I would look inside of a house or inside of an apartment. I'm not talking like weird stalker look. I'm talking like from the sidewalk. Just look and see the reflection of light coming from inside of that house. And sometimes you'd hear music or you'd hear people talking. You'd, you'd see family enjoying themselves. And here I am on the outside. And I can remember wanting to be on the inside so badly where that light was. That I would have given anything to be inside where that light was. Can I tell you, even though my papa, at 15, almost 16 years old, went to Dallas and found me and brought me back here, I never knew the warmth of the light of that window the way I had dreamt it would be until I met Jesus. Everything I thought I could find in that window, I found in Jesus. I found joy, I found peace, I found comfort, I found love, I found security. Everything that I needed at 14 years old, I found at 34. Because someone like Philip Michael, and then my pastor, and then Pastor Rick, my wife who told me she wouldn't go to church unless I dated, wouldn't date me unless I went to church. Because any, of the, any number of those people decided that more important than their comfort 
was their value in being light. And in the warmth of that light, I found everything I was looking for. You want to know why I preach today? Because I believe that there are people still longing for that light. Or people who have felt like I did, I ran away. Who have felt that light, walked away from it, and wanted so desperately to be back in it. And can I tell you, you can be. Regardless if you walked out of that light or you've never been in it. The Bible says that Jesus Christ atoned for our sin. And all we have to do is declare Jesus Christ as Lord, believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know if you've walked away from the light or backslidden as the old timers say or if you've never known but there's a place of light and warmth for you.